Welcome to the Fellow Traveler Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Lesperance. Listen in as I host humble discussions exploring the diverse expressions of Christian spirituality, tradition, and beyond. Enjoy, and safe traveling. Hello, my fellow travelers. Thanks so much for listening in. I've really appreciated all your support. If you would like to support me further, consider becoming a patron on my Patreon. Simply go to patreon.com forward slash morningsun underscore fellow traveler, or just click the link in the show notes. Thank you so much. I love you. How's it going, everybody? Here we are on the fellow traveler again, this time with my good pal, Brian Eschmankis. Or should I say, Father Brian? Are you a father? I I am a Catholic priest. I yeah. tend to not use the word title father, but okay. I am. Yeah. Well, Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing real well. I'm uh, living my best life. I'm uh, um, doing ministry in a in a homeless shelter. I'm um, going Zoom. I'm doing mass by Zoom with a, a woman priest um, out in Minnesota named Trish. Um, oh, yeah. And the community is called Karis. I know Pete, you've been you're familiar with Trish, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm engaged. So I know some of you who might have uh, some uh, experience with Catholic priests might find two of the three things there <laughs> a little uh, surprising. Yeah. But I am a bit of a I'm what I sometimes say like a renegade or Catholic priest. I'm I believe in Catholicism, but I don't believe in the exclusion of women and the insistence on celibacy and a lot of the other way that um, people have been excluded and hurt. And so I'm trying to live about priesthood and Catholicism as I always thought it should be as I think Jesus thinks it should be. Wow that's cool. Yeah me and Brian we grew up in the same town of Millbury, Massachusetts although we are a few years apart um, but we both went to Millbury and I got introduced to you through my friend Andrew Boris but I kind of actually I actually knew you before that a little bit little yeah there was some there was some overlap you used to get involved with the federated church a little mm-hmm. bit and i used to go grow grew up going to the mill church in millbury um and sometimes we our youth groups would get together i think maybe it was once or twice our youth groups got together and i, I think that was one of the first times i met you um it was in my living room and we had it was probably 15 years ago or so close to 15 years ago yeah. Yeah. I think about it it's pretty wild <laughs> to think about time flies mm-hmm. but yeah where are you where are you living these days I'm living uh just outside of Worcester in Leicester yeah so I'm uh yeah mm-hmm. that's cool but you grew up in Millbury yep and um and uh I met you well we we grew closer over the pandemic 
over the past three years. I know it's such an interesting thing to say it that way, but it's, it's so true. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because a lot of the time we didn't actually see each other in person, mm-hmm. but we built um, very strong connections, I think, through over Zoom, which, you know, was surprising. It was surprising the level of a relationship that you could build with people over the internet. And it still continues to be the case for me. I mean, with a lot of people that I know. Yeah, that that's but that's a big part of your story and your ministry. And we'll, we'll talk more about that when we get to that. But um, but you used to run this group called Friends of Moose that we'll talk about. And um, and we'd gather every Thursday night. I used to, it gave me something to look forward to mm-hmm. during the pandemic. Those are some trying times. They were. It, gave, it gave some solace. This mm-hmm. this hour yeah, it of gave solace. That community, you know, like community and support and connection and just yeah, hearing people's stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, um, thanks for coming on such short notice, Brian. It's a pleasure to have you. And so um, to be here. And I, you know, a couple of years ago, I remember actually like having a chat with you and be like, Hey, can, I'd love to hear your story. And you did share a bit of your story, but we'll, you know, we'll get into it again tonight. Cause it's always nice to get a refresher. Mm-hmm. Plus now that I have that background knowledge, you kind of, it'll help me guide my questions a little better, but um, yeah. So Brian, you grew up Catholic, right? I did. Yep. I grew up um, going to church every Sunday. Uh, my mm-hmm. parents very involved in, in our, our local church actually in Auburn. We grew up in Millbury, but we went to a, a church in Auburn with a really great priest and a great community, North American Martyrs. Um, oh, really? Where is that? It's uh, up in the Packetrog area. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Because I live in Auburn. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've come by it. I've seen some other Catholic churches around the area. Yeah, the St. Joseph's is the big one, but then it's mm-hmm. kind of off the side up in the Packetrog. And it's. Oh, yeah. See, I live right down the street from St. Joseph's. Yeah. yeah. It's busy place, busy parish. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. So you grew up in Millbury, but you didn't go to one of the Millbury um Catholic churches, which was what St. Bridget's and Assumption, right? Those are like exactly, the two. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, uh, <laughs> my father grew up in Auburn and I think he had a lot of connections there. Mm-hmm. And we really liked um they had chosen it before I was born, but they mm-hmm. um they really liked that community. And you know, I think I I found a lot of enrichment there. Awesome. I don't know if I you know, it was the beginning of my story. It wasn't yeah. something that it was a lot more um, to my faith journey and my spirit, my current spirituality that came after that. But I think it gave me a foundation um, in a yeah. way that. Yeah. That's super cool. And you. Um, yeah. So what was your experience in the Catholic Church growing up? Um, I think it was, like I said, I felt welcomed i think that the the priests in the community were welcoming and inclusive um you know there's so much um in the wider kind of roman catholic church that's exclusionary and and patriarchal and a lot of these kind of negative stuff and i kind of lived in in i think in a good way in this case i'm glad i didn't say that but in a good way almost a bubble from that right i had some sense that there were these negative qualities of roman catholicism elsewhere but it was very much Father G, who um, sadly passed away only a, a year or two ago, and he, uh, um, and he, um, you know, he was one who just welcomed everyone and really cared. And I think I kind of felt that that was 
what I grew up with. I, I don't, um, so I had that intro of like, Catholicism is meant to be inclusive and welcoming. I think that was something that was really there, but it wasn't, I don't think I had much of a, although I had some religious education, I don't think I got a lot um, into the deeper questions, right? It was much more, here's the rules, here's the, here's the beliefs, you know, but not, I didn't really ever go deep. And so I think, um, you know, it was really as a teenager that I actually was, a uh, um, became an atheist for a while. Just, uh, just, you know, I'm looking forward to walking you through from the atheist to priest, but, um, you know, but I, I actually think that was in retrospect, actually progress on my journey of faith. If that seems strange to think, but like it was a certain breaking open of a, of a, a doubt and thing. And I'm, I'm a big believer and we can talk about that with friends and moose that, doubt and questioning and skepticism and like not really getting the dogma is actually growth in one's faith journey. And so my kind of breaking away for about five years was very important for, for like kind of that, that process and figuring out what I, what I really feel in my core, you know? Yeah. Plus you, you know, you grew up, you came of age in your adolescence during the the age of uh the new atheism right like the you know the richard Dawkins and i don't know who else um isn't it hitchens, hitchens or something like that hitchens, think, yeah, yeah and all those like uh i feel like in the early 2000s all those new atheists were really appealing to people who grew up in religious settings but really didn't understand couldn't couldn't grapple with like the fact that we have a modern mindset in this modern era, yeah. even going into a postmodern era, you know, um, where things even get more murky, but like you grew up in that time when um, <clears throat> new atheism was really appealing. Plus in a sense, I find a lot of people were being um, kind of edgy and mm -hmm. uh, counter counter culture to their parents. And by uh, kind of going out and, you know, I don't do this anymore. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, I never went through that period, and I, I think it's just like, you know, I I was kind of on the opposite opposite spectrum where I, I don't know, as soon as I had some experiences with God at a young age, it just stuck with me, and I felt like, on the opposite end, I felt like I had to fight. You know, I had to fight non-believers and i didn't have much room for charity in my heart which is something that i've grown over the time you know it's the opposite side of growth <clears throat> the other, yeah, other side of the spectrum that was, yeah that's where i was an atheist right i wasn't i mean i think that i have many friends today that are atheists or agnostic and we have great open-minded mm -hmm. conversations and we grow from each other i think but most definitely that wasn't teenage atheist brian teenage atheist brian i think probably would have uh argued a lot with uh Teenage Pete, I think yeah. we would have oh, oh, really yeah. uh, had gone head to head because oh, yeah. sounds like neither of us were very open minded about it. We no, were very like, sure. you know, you're like atheists are wrong, and I'm like, no, Christians <laughs> are wrong and dumb and ridiculous. Yeah. And you know, I, I think is... I, I wrote an essay. I remember in, in as a junior in high school um, really? that the 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 um, the thesis statement was religion is the root of all evil, the inhibitor of progress, and a distraction from reality. The opium of the masses. Yeah. 
No, I really. Yeah. (laughs) It is interesting that historically he could recognize Mark because was it Marks who said that? Um, Opium of the masses. Yeah, I think it. Yeah, he said it in. mm, I don't know if it was Marks or Lennon, honestly. Mm. They they were a little different on religion. Lennon was actually more militant against religion. Marx yeah. didn't like it, but he was he just saw it as he said like the flower on the chain. Mm-hmm. Like people don't recognize their chains because there's a flower on it and that's religion. Yeah. But he wasn't necessarily militant against it where Lenin was like, wipe it out. It is funny. It is interesting because there's a lot of discussion these days about metaphysics and the discussion is between, you know, those who are more metaphysically minded versus um materialists you know Mm -hmm. spiritualists versus materialists and obviously it creates some sort of false dichotomies where we we end up like pigeonholing people into different camps and whatever but um what's interesting about it is if you look at religion from a materialistic mindset isn't it just one more expression of material you know of natural existence you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. why would you even be upset with it you know which is kind of interesting from a materialist perspective. That's interesting, yeah. Because if, mat- if everything that's yeah, yeah. What were you saying? I, I was just gonna say about you know I think that that's something in my own what I've just kind of discovered in my own tradition. I don't see it a lot in the way it manifests in the world, but within my kind of delving deep into that Catholic tradition with the sacraments, like <laughs> there's this sense of material and spiritual mm. are not these opposing worlds. It's like yeah. they they are integrated with each other and i and i think from i said from a perspective as jesus like the the fact that the fact that jesus is god is pretty cool the fact that he was human is cooler yeah for sure it it begs all sorts of questions which we have been grappling with ever since ever since his death burial resurrection birth Mm -hmm. and whatnot and we've been wondering what does this mean for humanity you know Mm -hmm. and i keep thinking about athanasius so he's like god became man so man could become god and he doesn't qualify by saying like god uh, mm-hmm. so what what does he mean you know that's the real the miller mystery but anyway mm-hmm. i digress um, <laughs> before i go down that rabbit hole um yeah so you were atheist and you got involved in politics right yeah that was i actually got involved in politics after i stopped being atheist oh really okay it was actually i i i I, at least in one way i was breaking you kind of said how you went in one direction in high school like i i i went to college and got faith Uh uh-huh which is you know kind of rare um but it was just um but it was kind of seeing a deeper sense i mean it was Actually, and you, actually, another thing that you had mentioned earlier about kind of experiencing God. I don't think I'd experienced God when I became an atheist. And I think that's what I ultimately did was in a much more limited way than I would later in life. But I think yeah. I, I kind of met God in this kind of really powerful experience my end of my junior year of college and really um, kind of got answering a question I had, which was kind of like, you know issues of god you know and i, I you mm-hmm. know like but there was all sorts of and I, I think it's a long story and i could share it but i i feel like i i know we have only so much no time, i mean basic, i definitely yeah. want to get into it because um you know a big point of my podcast is is really a lot of times people have people on their podcast to talk about these 
propositional ideas or theological concepts or doctrines or whatever. That's great. And I think that's important. It has its place. But I my starting point for these conversations is experience. And mm -hmm. I'm really, and not only for the sake of, I mean, part of it's just, it's really interesting hearing these stories because they're not really falsifiable. You know, it's, mm. you, you have to just accept it for what it is. It's like, they had this experience. You can doubt them and say, well, I don't, I think they must be insane or, you know, <laughs> or I just must be, they must've ate a bad burger or something, or I don't know. Um, there must be some sort of scientific explanation, but I mean, for me, I, I want to hear these experiences um, also for the sake of inspiring faith in others, too, because, um, you know, it's interesting in my discussions with atheists, like my friend Chris, I had him on recently, he said the most compelling argument for God is experience when people mm. experience not only just as individuals, but as groups. And like, isn't that what religion is? It's, it's um, people who have had a similar experience gathering together. Um, in this case, in our case, in the Christian case, it's the experience of coming in contact with the risen Lord Jesus, right? And, mm. and, and, um, and I mean, when you look at Paul, like he never met Jesus in person, the, the apostle Paul. Yeah. But then he has a mystical experience with him on this, while he's riding his horse or whatever he's riding on the road to Damascus and that changed his whole life. So it just shows the, the power of experiences so often, especially in Western thought, we try to be so scholastic. We try to read our, our Bible in a scholastic manner mm -hmm. uh, as if it's like a scientific textbook. We try to read our, our experiences in that, in that way. So I'd love to hear. So weren't you, you were taking a course in college, right? Yes, I was. Yeah. It was on, um, called morality and society but we basically talked about religion morality and I, I think as an atheist I really what I was trying to do was discover a way to be moral without religion right I was kind of like interested in morality right I was intrigued by how should we live and I just felt that you know at least the Christianity I had encountered or the, a wider Christianity I think the historical Christianity the Christianity of crusades and inquisition and and racism and homophobia and that that kind of Christianity was not compatible with morality. And I thought, so I was looking for, okay, how do you know? Um, and so I was, um, yeah, taking this course. And I think going into the course, it was some sense that I had that Jesus was a pretty cool guy or a good guy. Like I, I liked what he had to say, like what I read of him or heard about Jesus was like, you know, he seemed like someone worth emulating, right? A good philosopher to study and morality. Um, and we'd read this book. I, and I think it's interesting that I think God meets us where we're at and what we need at the time, because ironically, I can, I can almost preface a story and say that all the things that got me to become a believer at the time wouldn't work on me now with what I know now. Right. I'm like two, whatever. Right. Um, but they were stuff that said, you know, it was this book and it kind of said, like, be open minded. And so I said, OK, I'm exploring, I'm traveling, I'm thing. I'll be open minded to what this book about Christianity has to say, you know. And so I read, um, read this and um, at some point I read 
Um, it's funny you mentioned, you know, being in, you know, what can you say to experience? Well, are they insane? Are they lying? And I think that was what I encountered with C.S. Lewis is he says, you know, Lord, liar, or lunatic. Um, he says, and, and if you're not, I know you're familiar with this, but for those at home who aren't, um, the general premise that C.S. Lewis puts forward is this idea that because Jesus said that he was God, he and that he was a good teacher, he can't just be a good teacher, right? People who say they're God are either crazy, lunatic, lying, you know, liars, you know, or they're telling the truth, right? Like it's the fact that you think. So I said, I thought that was mildly convincing, but as atheist Brian, I kind of said, oh, but did he really say that? You know, that's that's the answer, of course. Like we just have the, you know, so I don't mean go home, I didn't have a Bible with me. I was an atheist, you know. But next time I'm home, visiting my parents, I'll uh, I'll open my I'll read I'll read the Gospels and I'll see, you know. Uh, God didn't let me get that far. I got home. My mom always insisted when I was home. They said, "I know I'm you know under no delusion. You're going to church at college, Brian. But when you're home in this house, you come to church with us." It wasn't a demand. It was just a fact. Um, and so I went, and it happened to be the reading that night day. You know, I'm here I am with this. Oh, read the Bible and find out Jesus said he's God. And it's, you know, in the reading that day was like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to Father except me. And I'm the Father and the Father's in me. And it's like, okay, God, you win. You know, and and again, I can I can kind of like as now someone who studied scripture, you know, and we're in, in a academic setting, there's a lot of reasons to say that that passage doesn't. John is not the most historical gospel, right? Like there's a lot to John that's valuable, but it's not the most historical. So it's, like I said, it wouldn't convince me today. So it's not necessarily the passage itself that's saying to people at home, like, oh, you should believe that passage and Jesus is God. But like, it's more to say, wow, like the fact that it was kind of thrown at me at that exact moment in the mm. right time was something that's okay. This is something, you know, let that's me, what makes let me you look wonder at this. Yeah, it makes you wonder, like, oh, is that the Holy Spirit speaking to me, you know, and, and that's kind of like the mystery of, of Scripture and Revelation, right, that, like, mm -hmm. it's not exactly, like, Revelation is, all truth and Revelation is found in one place, mm -hmm. but when, when you experience truth, it's experienced, and you can't deny it, right, <laughs> so it's yeah. like, so it's like, what do you do with that? And and it's just funny the way that that happened. I, I love that story because, yeah, I mean, it's funny now that you, looking back at you, you 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 recognize that the Bible is not supposed to be read like a scientific textbook or a history book or whatever. Mm -hmm. But at the time in your atheistic framework, you approached the Bible like a fundamentalist, right? Mm -hmm. And yep. you approached it, you approached it as a scientific textbook. And it's the way that the Holy Spirit needed to speak to you at the time. Yes. And it just like goes to show that, you know, um, kind of humor, I don't know, or, or yeah. I don't know, the wisdom, the wisdom of God that he. Are, are not humor and wisdom two sides of the same coin? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that's so neat. I love that. Yeah. And that's something that now is, a, is a, I know, I like to think that I'm, I'm kind of a Bible nerd now. And I, I find that that's what I find so interesting with the Bible. Not, you know, not that it's literally true, because a lot of it's not, you know, like some of it's historical, but, you know, but it's, it's the, it's the fact that it's experiences. It's a lot of experiences 
that people had of God over thousands of years, experiences that didn't necessarily agree with each other, right? There's literally like Job and Deuteronomy don't agree, you know, like they're not saying the same thing, but they are in dialogue with each other. So it's these these recorded experiences of the divine that are in dialogue with each other. And I think that that's what's interesting about it. Not, not that you dig for this one little verse that tells you exactly what to do in this situation, but that, you know, you can understand that you're not alone and that others have experienced wisdom and have some wisdom to pass on throughout history and that you're now part of that, you know, you're now part of that, right? I think that, you know, the Bible ends in the first century, but we, our own experiences continued, you know, and so there's all sorts of people yeah. who continue to have experiences like that of God that the, we can then read. The Spirit of God lives on, and and even understanding like when when Scripture was written at different points in history, you know, mm -hmm. there was a level of interpretation within their context, right, mm -hmm. where they they had to understand God a certain way, and maybe God just just like. God wanted you to understand that passage in that time the mm -hmm. way you did. Later on, as you mature in faith and are being perfected, God is allowing you to see that it's not black and white in that yep. way, you know? So it's it's very interesting. And and if that happens just on a micro microscopic level of just someone's lifetime, you know? Just within mm -hmm. the past, what, 10 years, yeah. not even, right? Right, it's like a microcosm, right? My, like our own journeys with God are like mirrored, right? There's different parts mm -hmm. of the Bible, different parts of our lives that we, yeah. different things. There's like different yeah. ages within our life, right? There's there's like mm -hmm. an age and then there's even apocalypses too, I think. There's, there's That's terms, a great point. There's yeah. even points where, where an apocalypse, for those who may not be familiar, does not mean the end of the world it means a revelation it means a revelation mm -hmm. of something new and oftentimes people point to you know the time of the revelation when like or the time that the book of revelation was was referring to was an apocalypse because it was revealing a new age a mm -hmm. new way in which the world would function and uh, within the kingdom of god coming to earth you know and and in a similar way, there, I feel like there's ages within our lives. There's like, there's the, there was the atheist age, you know, mm -hmm. Brian's life. And then there was the faith age that came, that came about maybe by way of necessity, but also by way of, you know, you were created to have faith, you know, <laughs> you were. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's all it's part of very the story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. like the, the exile is important for the return. Like, it, absolutely. It's, it's yeah. not. It doesn't. You don't get to the re, like the same return. If I don't go away, I don't come back. Mm. Like it's like you, you, yeah. There's like a whole process there. Yeah, I've been I've been in conversation. There's a very uh, esoteric corner of the internet with all these different um, thinkers and whatnot, and and a few of them are my friends that I've been talking to from all over the country. And there's this one phrase that they say: identity is both the identity of identity and the identity of non-identity meaning like who we are is defined also by who we're not mm. you know it's it's very interesting and it kind of helps you solve that question of dichotomy right like well i'm not that well you wouldn't be who you are if you weren't 
what you are not, you know? <laughs> so, and then the very existence of what you are not is also the identity of who you are. It's a very interesting way of thinking about things. That's but like true. within- I'm gonna have to really <laughs> sit on that. I like, yeah. Yeah, I like that. I'll try, to, I'll try to develop that further. Mm. I have a, I have my friend Luke who's gonna, Luke Thompson who will be coming on soon and he'll he'll help me grapple with that. I'll have to share that with you. But anyway, um, yeah, there's all these interesting, this interesting corners of the internet. There's this guy, Jonathan Peugeot. There's this guy, Paul Vanderclay and Father Stephen D. Young and all these folks who are kind of grappling with symbolism and identity and understanding all these questions of that are very interesting. But anyway, I digress. Um, you had some other experiences too, right? Wasn't there a prison experience? It was, yeah. So that was, um, and part of, as you mentioned, I was in politics for a while. I was a, I was a selectman. So I went, came back to faith and I really saw it as like my calling from God to to be a good politician, essentially, right? To to make fix a broken system. And I think that's something that's really stuck with me about my whole life, right? Whether I was an atheist or religious, whether it was politics or priests or anything else, like that notion of like seeing broken systems and wanting to be better has really, and trying to be part of the solution to that has really stuck with me. And so I, it just like anything, like being a, being a politician was very part of my call. Did it go where I thought it would go? I thought I was off to the U.S. Senate eventually, you know, higher office, and that was what it was do, fix broken systems, and, you know, got at other plans, and I'm grateful for that, because I'm much happier in this direction than that, but um, but it was important, right? It, was, it wasn't yeah. meaningless just because it was a stepping stone doesn't mean it wasn't, you know, I didn't help people in Melbourne or that I didn't make a difference or then I didn't learn something along the way. Um, it was all a meaningful thing. So yeah, I did the politics for a while. I That's where you became friends with Boris. Yes. Right? Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I used to say, uh, um, used to call Boris my political uh, mentee <laughs> and because he worked, he was, you know, who, 10 years younger than me it's weird to think like they're such good you know but you know like he was kind of up and coming politics and helping me on my campaign and stuff oh yeah so you know he's such a good mentee that he also left politics yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so but we became really good friends through that because i think we we're both interested in like this sense i it's a i have it hanging in my fridge i think it's george bernard shaw he's a, yeah, i think originally maybe kennedy quoted him saying it but it's like um you see things as they are and ask why i see things that they are not as they've never been and ask why not and i think that's mm. really for me like we figured we were both kind of didn't fit in the way the world was and we still don't you know yeah. well, why not this way like come yeah. on like why are we stuck in such and such system you know um and what was the big office that you ran for um i never i was just selectman so i was a select okay. nobody yeah and and I had always contemplated a higher, like a state okay. legislature run, but I never actually did it. I, mm -hmm. um, and I, uh, um, yeah, and so I, I remember actually at one point, a friend of mine said, um, friend of mine who at the time I knew for six days, but now we're very good friends, Tim. And he, uh, um, after spending a few days on vacation with him, and he was a mutual friend of another friend of mine, they're all part of the moose, moose mob, but we'll get to later. But they, um, he had said, Brian, have you ever thought about being a priest? <laughs> like, um, and it really kind of blew me away. I really didn't think of it. But he kind of thought that 
not a lot of good reasons for it, but he thought that kind of try, idealistic fixing a broken system, he said it's really hard in politics. It's much more. Anyway, so I caught about that for many years and I was leaning that way, but I was really politician priest, politician priest. I mean, the whole priest versus marriage thing came in later. You know, that was something that I had to grapple with once I was in seminary. But the big dilemma that I faced at the time was priest or politics, you know, and um, and I was doing prison. I started doing prison ministry at one point. I was worked with a group called Pax Christi, who's been really a big part of my life. My whole faith journey has really been touched by Pax Christi, which is this, you know, which for Latin means the peace of Christ. It's a Catholic nonviolence organization really committed to nonviolence in all forms, anti-war, you know, anti-oppression, anti-racism, anti, you know, and really trying to live in a way that is do no harm and actually do healing. Anyway, so um, through Pax Christi, we did a uh, group work with a bunch of inmates who wanted to learn about Pax Christi and nonviolence. And it was just this powerful experience. Every time we went, it was just this amazing, you talk about the Holy Spirit being in that, in that, you know, makeshift former gym, they turned into a chapel, you know, it was like the most amazing. They, you know, Our Lady of Guadalupe Chapel, and it was just amazing. But one particular day, um, one of my co-ministers, um, she brought this, one of those dried starfish in and we we did it because we we read a story as part of the the course that we were doing with them about nonviolence. and the story is that you know there's this woman walking along the beach and the beach is covered in starfish right that have come in on the shore and she's walking along and picking one up throwing it in picking one up throwing it in picking one up throwing it in and someone comes to her and says you know there's just so many starfish. How could you ever expect to make a difference? And she just looks down, picks up a starfish, throws that one in the thing and says, so that one, it made a difference. And it's just, and that's like really what both, I love that story. And it's what I need to hear because I'm such a system thinker, right? Like, but so we were reading that story and how important that was. And she brought this dried starfish kind of as a little talk about material and spiritual coming together, little prop first to pass around. And I, I got it first. And so I, I prayed on it and I said, you know, let the Holy Spirit come through me through, to the starfish so that everyone who touches be filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, and pass it along. And I could see around me, you know, there was something happening. It was like a Pentecost thing going on, the way people were sharing and opening and it's just like this, like the room was like on metaphorical fire, you know, but then in me it was, I, it was like kind of like full like I was almost feel like I was bursting like I felt like I was about to explode with the Holy Spirit and it was like this really powerful like out of body but in body it's so hard to explain it you know but it was just overwhelming euphoria somewhat pain but that pain was overwhelmed it's just like this utter thing and within that kind of euphoric ex, ex you know whatever experience there was just this kind of little voice that said, be a priest. And it's just like, you know, I was already thinking about it. It wasn't like, what are you talking about? Like I was thinking about it, but I was like, okay, I think I have my answer, you know, like, um, and, but of course, even that was not, we can get into later. It wasn't the full story. It wasn't the full thing that God was saying, but it was the thing God needed to say now. Right. Be a priest. It stuck with me. It 
it carried me through some of the dark days of seminary, knowing that God had kind of said that, like, that's what you're called to do. And there was so many ways in which that was affirmed by this and that and this, like, you're called to be a priest, who you are as priest is. Um, and I went, signed up for seminary. I joined the Worcester Diocese, the Roman Catholic Diocese of Worcester, the full name, and became a, a seminarian, you know, which is a, for Catholics, is a six-year process, at least. Wow. It's just, you know, and I remember the being not excited about that, but I also knew be a priest, right? Like, okay, this is what you do. You know, you go and you just take the step of faith forward. Yeah. Yep. And so, yeah, I, and I, I was given permission to finish my term as a selectman. So actually my first year of seminary was my last year of selectman. Oh yeah. I was traveling back and forth in Boston and coming to meetings and doing what I had to do. And I got permission from the rector for that. Oh, the rector is like the headmaster for a seminary. Catholics mm -hmm. have some weird terms for lots of things. And so <laughs> I slip into any of those. Just, uh, Brian, what the, what, <laughs> what the heck that is. No, that's great. That's, uh, wow. that's so crazy. Yeah, so, yeah went you, there. You just, you just went for it. Yep. You just knew it. And, and the Holy Spirit confirmed it. And voices of people were confirming it. And I find it, I find it funny that Tim, who's not a believer, instilled you instilled the idea in you and originally right yeah oh yeah no he just saw it like he and that's the thing with him is like he he and he's one who really loves a lot of things about faith but he's not one he'd be really embarrassed i'm gonna be like i'm talking about him but he uh, you know but he's one we've got a lot of great conversations with him and yeah. and uh where we've kind of delved into that question of like he's like you know, I, I don't have those experiences like you do, but I still appreciate you guys' experiences. And mm -hmm. he's not like, you know, your typical new atheist who would be like, you know, almost combative. Yeah. No, he loves it. He loves yeah. that. You know, it inspires me. He loves that it inspires <laughs> others to do good justice work. And he cares <laughs> about that. And he he really wants that to be a thing. And, and, and he... I don't know if you'd agree with this or not, but I feel like he's a vehicle of the Holy Spirit. Like he's <laughs> one who um, sometimes we call him like, you know, the prophet McManus, you know, he has yeah. this, this way about him. And this is one example when he's like, have you ever thought about being a priest? He just has a way of like maybe observing and just kind of seeing things in others that they don't see in themselves. And he'll have these like a very insightful kind of things. He just sees it, you know? And so that's what he saw in me. He just saw this, through the politics through the everything else he just was like and you've asked him now he's like he, he he'll even downplay that right he'll just be like I, it seemed obvious you know like, it's yeah. like it wasn't obvious to me <laughs> it wasn't obvious to you you know and that's what it, you know yeah. it, that's so funny god speaks through a, a donkey right <laughs> oh god <laughs> no tim you're not a donkey i know yeah <laughs> no i'm kidding um yeah it is funny People like Tim, and this kind of goes into the the whole topic of like the friends of Moose and the nons and whatnot. And it's funny how is there seem to be these insider outsiders. Mm -hmm. I kind of like I like this term. I was talking about it with Boris. I was like, you're like an insider outsider. You're like mm. you're Catholic adjacent, but <laughs> like yeah, but you still kind of hang out on the fringes. But but when I look at people like Boris who he's doing, I feel like he's doing more for the kingdom of God than most people 
who claim to be Christians. And that's what blows my mind. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with that? You know? (laughs) It's it's the thing. And I I think it's, if you talk about like the Bible and, and, and other religious texts from other faiths and whatever, but God seems to do God's work on the margins, on the peripheries. Mm. Yeah. Right, that's where it happens, right? In Galilee, not in Jerusalem. Sure. Like in Nazareth. Nothing yeah. good comes out of Nazareth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and it's just there's something about that that is that's where God's doing the work. Like not, you know, and I don't want to mm-hmm. dismiss it. I mean, because I think, you know, I'm sure God does work in the in I'm not sure, but I know that God does some work in the in the center, in the mm-hmm. centers of things, but but it's not the only place there's so much bad stuff happening in the religious centers right which really mm. the work of god and the work of the holy spirit is happening on these edges on those like in between spaces you yeah. know we're maybe because openness maybe because mm. you know it's challenging something like god's not really a big status quo person i don't think you know jesus well, i think it really favors those who don't have power and don't have privilege yeah. it's really fascinating when i was i was talking to to a woman pastor Mm-hmm. a couple months ago well last month and we were talking about the whole because i grew up in the um assemblies assemblies of god mm-hmm. which is a charismatic denomination that arose because of this big revival that happened in in chicago on azuzu street and azuzu street the big revival was like this big charismatic revival revival where people were experiencing the holy spirit and having these crazy like prophetic experiences healings and all this crazy stuff happening and it was happening amongst black hispanic poor folk and women you know so like people who were kind of not the people with power in society which is really fascinating it seems like god god tends to work through those kind of people that's mm-hmm. where the kingdom of God is, where where the least of these are. You know, it's very fascinating. And, and it's so easy to overlook uh, when you're reading the Gospels, when you're reading the life of Jesus. Yeah. But he really, it's this, I think a lot of people don't take Jesus very seriously. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who would, who would claim that the Bible is very literal don't read Jesus literally, you know. They're not giving away their things to the poor and <laughs> right and selling all their possessions and giving it to the poor, you know. Like, what do you do with that? You know, it's that mm-hmm. it, but then when you see people who are on the outside or even on the fringes, um living in such a gospel way, in such a kingdom way, like a kingdom of God way, yep. um, it's like it really makes you pause. It's like, wait what about me? You know, I, I'm, I'm a part of this system and what am I doing? You know, <clears throat> what about my church community? You're yeah. a part of the system. What are we doing? You know? And, and that's another great, that was a great line of Tim too, right? He says, you know, a lot of people say, what would Jesus do? But he's more interested in the question, where would Jesus be? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know? Where and would I, he be? On the margins, on the, on the, among the poor, among the, amongst the least of these. Yeah. And that's I where think, he says he is yeah <laughs> he says it you know mm-hmm. yeah really straightforward yeah like i was naked and you clothed me i was homeless and you sheltered me i was mm-hmm. hungry and you fed me mm-hmm. and the list goes on i'm sure we could add to that list mm-hmm. but anyway so that 
this the prison experience then you went forward with seminary and how was your what was your experience in seminary i know there was probably some tension that you experienced there because you weren't as much as you love the catholic church there are some aspects of it that like you didn't really yeah you weren't really like sure that you really agreed with or that you um really felt comfortable with especially in regards to being unmarried right yeah no i mean all of it went together yeah it just it really as i explored my faith and that's really what so on the to start with the positive like it really was a time of reflection and a time of education and discernment and you know spiritual direction regularly you know i had formation right you know I, all this stuff was really you know um to be fair you know to be one of my um foreign vocation directors who's like your recruiter i guess that's the, how i try to translate it you know my vocation recruiter my vocation director he uh um he said you know your job for the next six years is to get smarter and holier you know that's kind of cool there's an opportunity so i'll give you that opportunity to say yeah it's your job right now go get smart and go get holy you know like so that's where it was and yet it also was a time when you see such ignorance and unholiness right all around like in a real exclusionary stuff power politics is a lot of what's called clericalism this idea of the priest being above the people and a, kind of a ruler on high like a lot of that mentality around a lot of sexism a lot of like really because I, they they do stay the roman catholic church to this day still bans the woman from the priesthood um, based on very flimsy biblical arguments that have no no validity um but um but they still do it and from that extends a lot of other because they're not allowed to be priests and priests are the end all and be all in catholicism you have this in at least roman catholicism i'd like to think there you know really um there's a lot of real negative attitudes toward women you know and and toward gay people and toward um really anyone who doesn't belong and so the fact that i was kind of felt this like on fire with the holy spirit knew i was called to be a priest and yet was like kind of a square peg in a round hole and like really struggling in this tension and um growing and then yeah and part of it for me i happen to not experience a lot of the other things that others are excluded from a lot of people excluded from the priesthood and the catholic in the roman catholic church because they're women because they're gay because they um you know i guess yeah because they are already married maybe because they're a thousand reasons right that they kind of get excluded you know and i was able to be in right it's almost a, it's a privilege right i happen to be a, a cisgender white man you know like so it's you know i i could go to seminary but so where i kind of met in solidarity with all those who were excluded i always look at it this way is that i really felt called to marriage and seminary set up in such a way that you know priests make a vow roman catholic priests make a vow of celibacy or promise of celibacy to never be married and the general understanding of seminary was always one of those calls will get stronger right some people call it marriage and some people call it the priesthood and as you discern you'll one will get stronger and the other weaker and i had the experience of the more i discern the more both got stronger like so i felt every year of seminary i felt more called to be a priest 
every year of seminary, I felt more called to marriage. Um, and it just was, it was coming to a very, it was a very painful, difficult situation that I was coming to a point where I had to decide between these two overwhelming, you know, more than desires, right? I mean, these were like senses from God, like they were deeply who I was at my core was to be a married priest and yet they wasn't thing. And so ultimately there was, there was a discussion in the Amazon about allowing married priests. I still hasn't gone anywhere, but it was maybe going to go somewhere at the time. I think I ultimately felt called that I had to address this with my Bishop, you know, like here's my call. Um, and before I get to that, I would just say, you know, I, I there was, like I said, there was other good, and I, I actually was in two different seminaries. I was in Boston, which was much more difficult seminary, and then in Washington, D.C., which was much a uh, very good experience. I got to do a lot of, you know, social justice work down there, and I got to be involved, and it was much more open, much more open-minded, allowed for discussion. Um, but ultimately, I made this meeting with the, my, made the meeting with my bishop, you know, who decided whether I was going to go on. Um, and told him, like, here's, here's the situation, Bishop Manis, like, I am called to marriage, here's why, I'm called to priesthood, I'm called to Worcester, I'm called to be Catholic, like, all of this is here, you know, and he just, he gave me the floor, but he really didn't listen, he just let me do my piece, and then said, well, you're not called to be a priest, because you're called to, if you're called to marriage, you're not called to be a priest, that's it, done, and you're, you know, finish the semester, you're out, like, um, the good thing about the situation in Washington, or one of the things was that we were also CUA students, Catholic University of America students. So I was able to essentially finish my degree. Um, that was an, I decided, you know, because I had all these credits. So I just was able to switch degrees from the priest degree, the STB, to the Masters of Theology, which, you know, for all intents and purposes, same thing, a couple of different requirements. And I actually was able to finish- less years. Program. Was it a lot less years? Yeah, I get. Yeah, exactly. And actually, that's the thing. So my, I got this master theology, and I probably I have two and a half times the credits I need to really have that degree. So you know, I was able to get a lot of education out of it um, and finish that program, and um, and graduate with a master theology in in twenty twenty, actually, of all places, in June twenty twenty. It actually was going there. I was doing my work remotely. A couple months before it became mandatory but um but yeah so i was able to finish my degree and they and but i knew that call and so i was able to basically pursue through a group called the good Shepherd companions which is our validly ordained catholic priests they're one of many independent or ecumenical sometimes we call them catholic groups that have valid orders which means a legitimate bishop has laid hands on their head and done the ordination prayers and passed on that, you know, notion. Um, so validly ordained priests who have, were able to ordain me essentially. And that's, that's a little bit after that, but I was able to connect to that group and they were able to kind of resolve that dilemma. Right. Because I, I was new, I was called to marriage and priesthood. So. Mm. That's pretty wild that they have, there's a lot of independent Catholic groups out there mm-hmm. that are kind of on the peripheries. Yeah. Wow. And they're now, now it's still Roman Catholic, even though it's like, doesn't follow all the same rules. 
um, depends on who you, which group you ask. So yeah. the group of companions would say that they're Roman Catholic, but they, um, that's generally in their thing that they're Roman Catholic. They're just not, um, they're engaging in disobedience for the sake of the gospel or because of, you know, they're, they're not, they're breaking the rule because the rule is invalid or whatever. Um, others, others will say that they're, and I'm more inclined to this tendency of thinking is I tend to say I'm Catholic, but not Roman. Because mm. I really think in terms of, um, and I don't think, I know some will, some will take what I'm about to say and take it as like, you know, everything after Constantine was a waste and awful, right? I don't say that. But there was a massive, there was a corrupting moment with Constantine, right? There was, it was fundamentally anti-Christian <laughs> to side with empire, right? Jesus was from yeah. the priest. He was killed by the empire. I always like to insist on that. It's very important that mm -hmm. people tend to think, have this myth that's very dangerous about the Jews killing Jesus. But we have to remember that the Sanhedrin, the high priest, were appointees of Pilate. They mm. were not appointees of the Jewish community. So the Roman system killed Jesus, not mm. the Jews. And so the Roman Empire killed Jesus. And then all of a sudden we're siding with the Roman Empire. And it, it, there was something wrong about that, something fundamentally contradictory when we merged the church and the empire. And so for oh, me, that's why I look at, that's why I tend to say I'm Catholic, but not Roman. I'm trying to live out and I'm not going to succeed at it completely. Right. Cause it's so intermeshed with it thing. So I'm going to fail at that at different times. And we're all yeah. going to fail at that. But ultimately what I'm tr aiming toward is to live out that Catholicism without the trappings of empire of the Roman empire. Right. To separate those two again. And so for me, I say that others will say I'm Roman Catholic, but I'm a disobedient one. Others will say, you know, I'm I'm just Catholic or I'm independent Catholic. Different people have different names, but I'll, I'll say I'm Catholic, but not Roman. Is it important to you either way? Like. Not. Um, how do you mean? Well, what I mean is like some people, they really hold on to like. The supremacy of of the catholic church and, and the bishop of rome and whatnot you know and and uh that's to some people it's, that's really important kind of as a differentiating marker mm, oh, obviously like you know you have the advent of protestantism which is just like catholics <laughs> the roman catholics like uh i don't know um the roman catholics like inbred twin or something i don't know not twin. I don't know what you call it. I don't know. Their illegitimate no, yeah. son. Spinoff. Spin I don't know. And I say that as as a one who's grown up Protestant. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. There's a lot of issues I take with Protestantism. But anyway, Catholicism. Um, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot. Like the dynamics of that. You you had like, yeah. You in the three hundreds. You definitely have this kind of once once uh, Christianity becomes legalized and then eventually becomes the the religion of the empire, then it's like, well, now Christians are comfortable and now Christians have power and wealth. Now it almost ceases to be Christianity in a sense. Mm -hmm. Like it's kind of veering farther and farther away from Christ in that sense. Yep. But you still have faithful people within that movement. Who, have, who moved to the peripheries. That's where the monastic movement really grew out of that. Monastic like movement for sure, yeah. You know, and the Desert and, Fathers, yeah. the Cappadocians are huge. Yeah, um, moving away from the empire, saying let's discover yeah. 
you know, and that's that's the that's the task of every generation, I think, is to kind of find that. And I told the independent Catholic movement is part of that. Yeah, for me, um, I know I'm Catholic to the core. I'd actually put that along with priesthood and marriage as part of my call, you know. But when I say I'm Catholic, it's there's a lot of things about that. There's the Catholic social teaching. There's mm -hmm. tradition. There's the sacraments. There's a lot to that, which we could delve into if you want. But yeah. it, in general, but I also am a big believer. Um, it's actually a line from I saw him yesterday. But um, Brayton Shanley, who's the co-founder of the Agape Community, oh yeah, he has this. He'd be a good person on the show. But, oh yeah, I've been, um, I've been he, reaching uh, out to them. Yeah. But they, uh, he had this line a couple of years ago that I really love what he said, you know, um, if you dig a well really deep, you get to the common waters. So for me, my well is in Catholicism. I, mm -hmm. that is my core, but it's, I don't talk about Catholicism as the way. Catholicism is my way to the common source of water, which is mm -hmm. the domain, right? And so if we... And it's important, you know, I think it's we, if you, ironically, I think those who are so insistent on being right or control or this way and not that way, they act like they're the most religious in a certain way, they're the least religious, right? Because they're, they're not digging their well deep enough, right? They're not, they're keeping their well at a place where it's only their own well. Yeah. The whole goal is to but, go deep enough that you're but like, the water goes, the water <laughs> comes from somewhere else yeah exactly that's a really interesting analogy wow that's really neat mm -hmm. i guess you could and for me I, I think i try to believe that the water is jesus you know the water mm -hmm. is christ and that he's the source of all truth and, and light and, and wisdom and whatnot in that sense but then like when it comes to religion you know well what do we do with all these different sects of religion and or sects within Christianity, you know, and and that's something I've kind of grappled with. And I want to be charitable to all traditions, but at the same time, and and I want to and I and I can't help but feel this desire for ecumenism mm -hmm. because I see all sorts of beauty and riches in all these traditions. But lately, I've been thinking a lot about. Um, the more sacramental traditions like Eastern Orthodox and Catholicism, because there's something, there's some, I think the wells are dug a little bit deeper than, than my tradition. I think my tradition, <clears throat> I've been up in the puddles for a while, <laughs> you know, and, and at, now that I'm trying to dig deeper, I find like, <clears throat> I'm trying to get closer to the source of where the water's coming from, you know? <laughs> right. Very yeah. interesting. But yeah, that, that is interesting. And, and, you know, it's interesting dynamic within Catholicism. And I, and I want to talk to more traditional Catholics, too, because I think it's really interesting to get their perspective. There's, you know, there's people, many ca traditional Catholics are like against Vatican II. Like they think it's one of the worst decisions or mm -hmm. changes in, in, in Catholic history. And they're against um, the folk mass. They're against having mass in people's language where they can understand yeah and th they believe like you know that they should turn the turn the priest table around or whatever it's called yeah the, the altar. altar yeah and the altar around so the priest's back is facing us again and, mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff <clears throat> but it is very interesting 
to see how that that's that was a pretty substantial development vatican ii back in the 60s right yeah and i think it and it it's very i mean it essential right and it's and to me big fan and i and vatican ii was defined by two things i mean there's a lot of stuff in it but the two things that it is a the resourcement will going back to the sources going back to the thing and then also openness to kind of the world engaging in the world so it's like mm. i think that's the way we all should be right the best way to look for the dig that down we well deeper is one search your own tradition and other mm. traditions and on the other hand open yourself up to things and i think it's there's a certain tendency of religion in general it's not a catholic unique catholic thing to just kind of no. be we're good as we are right we're already perfect yeah. right and and i always think that that's the worst translation we've ever had in the bible was the be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect <laughs> the text and the word indicates it's more like be all inclusive as your heavenly father is all inclusive well perfect the way i've understood it is in the it's in the terms of of spiritual maturity be mature yeah, maturity is another translation i've heard yeah. I, I think that that's, that could very well be accurate but it's i i think that one changes a lot of things because then then it doesn't have to do with moral perfection mm -hmm. doesn't have to do with doing the right things so, so what because the way i in my tradition i've interpreted it through this more western protestant lens is like if you're not perfect then god's gonna yeah. deal his wrath upon you in a penal way like he's yep. gonna make he's gonna make you pay for your sins because apparently his son wasn't enough but right yeah so so be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect well well i can't be perfect but really the, i think more yeah more accurate transition is be perfected in your spiritual maturity yeah who be is fully grown telios is the word so telios, yeah completion. come to your telios come to your telios come to your telos which is yeah which is your be complete being and who be you complete. are yeah yeah, be complete, be integrated. It, yeah, integrated. Yeah, and it, but but it also happens after. It's a, it that passage is right after, and so context is important. You know, it says you know God sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike, mm. the sun on the. So, what is it saying about God in that sense? It's saying that God is all inclusive. God is, ah. you know, and then it says, "Be like your heavenly Father." So it's, it's always important to read the context. You know, I always mm. think, you know. I'm a big, uh, big opponent of proof texting, right? Because, oh, yeah. you know, you just take one passage out of context. And, you know, I think my favorite, I don't think anyone's ever actually done this, but can you imagine just taking um, Jesus's line, like, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth, and just stopping it there? Yeah. He is clearly, <laughs> no, actually, turn the other oh, Wait, what did he say after? Exactly. Yeah, he's like, you've heard it said, and I say it too, you know? Like, okay, yeah, Jesus said it. The Bible yeah. says it. I believe it. Yeah. That settles it. Yep. He said yeah, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Yep. And so it's a crazy, it's a kind of whole thing where it's Jesus that's is not violent, point. right? He's against violence. I mean, that's very clear in the gospel. And and yeah. then, and we, the one that, you know, the one that I mean, gets Jesus' his name, you know. One that gets pulled out of context a lot in my tradition is especially in like more of the reformed tradition, when they're trying to explain the providence, the providence of God. In terms of like why do people why do children get cancer why do people die in why is there famines and wars and whatnot the problem of pain and evil right and suffering mm -hmm. well they say well god's ways are higher than our ways his his thoughts are 
larger than our thoughts. But the context of that, and also like in terms of like who God would forgive and who God wouldn't forgive. It's like, well, he forgives some people, but he doesn't forgive others because his ways are higher than our thoughts. His thoughts, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Yeah. The context is talking about how, how much more forgiving God is than the people who, than the people that in that yeah. day and age. Mm-hmm. He's saying his ways are higher and his thoughts are higher and that he's willing to forgive more than the people in that time would. Mm-hmm. He's willing to be more inclusive than than those even forgiving the outsiders who aren't Jews, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's interesting. So yeah, I, I mean, pulling you into what drew drew you into um, independent Catholicism, obviously was the main thing was you wanted to be married or mm-hmm. not just wanted to be married, but you felt called called to be married, yep. right? Which you're on the on your way to be married. Right? I am <laughs> next year. Yeah. After this year. Yeah. And, uh, this really great band that's uh playing our wedding too. Um really? Yeah, called the Big Lee Collective. I, I don't know if you heard have you heard of them, Pete? Yeah. You know what? I think I know I know one or two or three people who are in that band. Yeah, they're really <laughs> good. <laughs> no but all jokes aside yeah my band the big league collective we're going to be playing at brian's wedding i'm really excited for that mm-hmm. gotta make sure i save that date <laughs> before i forget good reminder yes. but anyway yeah that's coming up i mean it's coming up that's yeah. crazy so you're going to be a married priest mm-hmm. i love it yeah. i know it's, it's funny when i tell people oh yeah my friend he's like part of this uh kind of like hippie catholic group and he's going to be a married priest <laughs> yeah. like, what? Married yep. priest. And it's a witness in itself to kind of challenge break open oh it does for sure right and open conversations and i think that that's part of my call too mm-hmm. yeah, yeah for sure there's something disruptive about it mm-hmm. uh that disruption disrupting the status quo but also disrupting injustice right yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And and another big another big thing that drew you into the independent catholic was I mean there's other topics too, right? Like like the whole LGBT mm-hmm. thing to consider too. Yeah, and I think it's it's yeah, LGBT and and um inclusion of women. Those are the two yeah. other and they they go together and I and I think it's um I, I actually wrote to Pope Francis after I left seminary. I never got a reply, but I, and I, in that letter, I wrote about this kind of knot that infects the Roman church, you know, and, and maybe it affects other churches too, but it was like this kind of the ban on birth control, the ban on um, the, the insistence on the, ne- the negative understanding of the LGBT community, the ban on women um, priest and um, the ban on priests being married, right? They all, so all four of those are like this. They're all interconnected to each other, right? It's like, mm-hmm. like it's, um, you know, because women aren't allowed to be married. They're kind, of, I mean, part of the priesthood. They're kind of second class, and then therefore, you know, we wouldn't want them to be, you know, in the same house as a priest, like influencing them. And there's like this whole connect, you know priests end up being more negative toward women partially because they don't 
love any woman, you know, or not that they are, they could love men or, you know, or woman could love, you know, like, I think this kind of, and I don't know, it's, it's very complex and I'm trying to, I feel, I feel like well, I, I guess, probably I better in that letter, but they're all connected anyway, this kind of like yeah. and control and, and exclusion is all interconnected. And I, I really feel that it's, you know, God is in the peripheries, you know, and, and that, that, that priests are stronger if there's both men and women and, and other, you know, what, you know, ever in, in the priesthood, right? Because I think it learns, you think of, um, I mean, I, and I don't think I said it wouldn't be good to have just women in the priesthood either. I think it's, it's yeah. that balance and that thing. And I, but I do think of like, even, even our own, the, where our two traditions split, you know, I, I don't think they would have split if a woman at the table. I think that's kind of a men Maybe thing. Not. Like, you're right. Oh, we're right. No, we're right. No, like, and, and if like some women tend, not all women and not all men are, you know, it varies, right? Yeah. But women more often than not are better listeners, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if there was yeah. like listening to the other side instead of just insisting on rightness, you know, there would have been mm -hmm. maybe that, you know? So I think it's, it's all... Yeah connected so i really mm -hmm. for me i said my solidarity with those who are excluded from catholicism is yeah. on that point of marriage but it's a solidarity right so i could never if like the pope called tomorrow and said you know we'll let you be a married priest and come back to rome i wouldn't i would say are the woman and the lgbt community going to get back into wow. and he said oh no and then i'd say no thank you you know like i it's it's inherently necessarily linked in, mm -hmm. right that there is that these these i can't abandon those others who have been excluded now was that something that was this way of thinking something that developed over time or was it something that you always felt or something you were raised on that never left you or you know I, when I, you, I, I i had some sense going into seminary that i didn't understand why women were excluded mm -hmm. um or the lgbt lgbt yeah. developed over time a little more um in discussion with others um really yeah i'm I, curious about the lgbt um topic because so i mean going into catholic seminary you would have known right you would have known that that yeah they're they're just at the at the outright like um excluded from expressing their sexuality in mm -hmm. any positive way within the church or even within marriage or whatever you know and and you knew that going into it and that didn't deter you at the time so like yeah. it seemed i was curious if you had what experiences you had that changed your mind or or maybe helped you kind of solidify yeah i think that that's true i think i was definitely involved in all these issues i was more willing to accept the catholic church's view or even perhaps agreed with it in some way i would say but i i think part of it's a solidarity right yeah. i think that i you know i think the the beginning of the lgbt issue for me was definitely you know i remember having discussions early on with seminarians being i don't know if i can accept the teaching on it but that maybe i can see how it may make some sense but not really i mean and one of the things was knowing how I was on a path to be have celibacy imposed on me and 
And that I was, at least in theory, I remember thinking, I'm at least getting something out of it. I get to be a priest, right? This notion that like, sorry, you just have to be celibate the rest of your life. It seemed like such an unbearable and unreasonable imposition, you know? And then I think over time, there's a sense of love. I think that that, you know, I know that it's a cliche at this point, love is love, but like to the degree that it's a healthy, mature, like there's unhealthy, mature, straight relationships, unhealthy, mature, immature, and vice versa, right? Mature, healthy ones, right? I think that that was something that developed. I think it was, I think a lot of Mike and Tim helped talk me through a lot of the stuff. Um, I think, um, I remember an article actually talking about that really, an article I read in uh, Commonweal that was very interesting. It was talking about, um, you know, the masculine and the feminine and, you know, looking at Genesis from this perspective, kind of the, the general gist of it was this kind of, um, who was it saying? Was it the spectrums? God, yeah, spectrums, exactly. So that, you know, God is, Genesis records, you know, in its metaphorical Genesis one kind of way saying God creates in opposites, right? God creates the light, separates the light from the darkness, the land from the sea, and God created man and woman, right? That's this, this sense. But we also know from our experience that, you know, God didn't simply separate the light from the darkness. There's such thing as twilight and the moon. And that he didn't simply separate the land from the water. There's such thing as islands and lakes and beaches and tidal pools, you know, so that we can both insist on the male female thing that oh there is something called masculinity something called femininity and those things exist in the world and thing that god doesn't just say here and here and they are different like there there exists you know we could say the lakes who are people who are um gay men you know or lesbian women who are islands and no hotter or you know transgender people who are maybe a, a title, you know, that maybe this metaphor is a little stretched, but the point being that the reality of, although God creates in these juxtapositions or forms in these juxtapositions and these tensions, which I think help that the reality of the juxtapositions is not cut and dry, straightforward. And so I think that was, you know, so a lot of intellectual thoughts on that. Um, so, and then for the woman, for the woman, it was intellectual first. I remember I was very much interested in the Catholic teaching on no woman priests and I explored it and I kept exploring it. And I said, okay, why do they teach this? Why do they teach this? And the more I explored it, the more I was like, oh, it's just sexism. Like there's no biblical argument for it. the biblical argument is that Jesus only, only ordained men at the last supper. And there's no, the, any serious biblical scholar will tell you the apostles weren't the first priests. Jesus picked, he had male and female followers. He included male and female followers who were all part of his ministry. And to the degree he picked 12 men, it wasn't about excluding the woman. It was about the symbol of reinstituting the 12 tribes of Israel, the scattered tribes being back together. That anyone in Jesus' time who saw him walking around with 12 men would have instantly any jewish person would have instantly said oh the 12 tribes he's trying to bring the 12 tribes back together you know like it would have had nothing to do with excluding women and but he certainly had women as part of his close confidants who did ministry his mother mary magdalene um 
Joanna, Susanna, like, well, you know, several, and um, Junia, Junia, and yeah, she was the, oh, in in Christ before Paul, right? Mm. And and you think of how, and and then you can also look at that because how how much work was done to exclude women by later writers? Yeah, later writers so, call their Junius. So yeah, they, they literally change it. Like I mean, imagine calling Junia the Apostle, Junia the Apostle. <laughs> They're like, ah, oh, it must be Junius. It's like, I think that's a type of Let's make him a man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is pretty messed up. No, I, I agree with you when it comes to women in leadership in the church. I think, I think it's definitely, you know, we often hear traditionalist folks and conservative folks within religion saying, Let's not change our, we can't change our religion and, and beliefs based on, on society and based on the culture. Fact of the matter is, for one, we're always doing that, whether we like it or not. Mm-hmm. And all throughout history, the past 2,000 years, we've been doing that, whether we like it or not. But when you look at, like, the whole concept of, um, yeah, the whole concept that men are the only ones who should be allowed in leadership... That's clearly just um, just um, following the culture of the day. You know, it's the right. And the then time, Jesus was countercultural and allowed yeah. <laughs> Jesus literally allowed people in leadership and he did it counterculturally. Like yeah. there no one, no other rabbi or Roman ruler or had a woman. Fo- I mean, there were some priestesses in some cults, so I shouldn't say that. But certainly he was being super countercultural that there were women in his inner circle who did ministry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. But even at, if looking at the Old Testament, even the G- Hebrew scriptures, you have um, Deborah, who was one of the judges, right? Yep. And Miriam, who was called a prophetess. And yeah. And Huldah, Huldah, the prophetess, as well as Isaiah's wife, right? We say he calls her the prophetess. Like there seems to be a whole tradition that that that, ex- that suppression of the woman voice has been going on long before Jesus and continued mm-hmm. after Jesus, right? That That there's good indications even throughout the old testament that there was prophetesses that had real serious roles to play in the in the hebrew scriptures that are kind of like just scribbled out of history yeah yeah and even going back to genesis you have the whole concept of the image of god Mm -hmm. let us make man in our image and so often people think oh he's saying let us make man in our image but obviously that's that's not a good translation it's mankind humanity yeah humanity let us let us make let us make humanity in our image let us make them in the image a male and female yeah you know both male and female um are the image of god it's god's way of expressing his image is both male and female whether Mm -hmm. you like it or not and and yeah that is an interesting topic for sure um I highly doubt within the largely established old old time um, sacramental traditions we're going to see much change in that. But and but especially like in terms of like the LGBT thing too. I mean, what's what makes that discussion so difficult too is that in the ancient world we didn't really have a concept of sexuality that we do today. You know. Yeah. And, that's what makes it so murky it's like we're trying to give um we're trying to give 
ancient answers to modern questions, you know? <laughs> right. Or and vice versa. That, yeah. Modern question modern questions to ancient answers or ancient answers. Yeah, ancient answers to modern questions, I guess. Yeah. And that's one of the things where I don't know. I don't know how that's all gonna flesh out. We're gonna see. We're gonna see. Yeah, but I you're right. I think that that's true. I think we we insist as if like certainly whatever people fall on the on that, it's certainly Paul and the writers of Leviticus weren't talking about our current understanding of the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. No, it just they were talking about what they were seeing within the Greco-Roman culture. Right. And so Largely, there, was, there was, in fact, you know, a dangerous culture of what we would call pedophilia. And it was, you know, that was using, you know, um, teenage boys. Yeah, you had pedestrian. Sex, yeah, sex objects. Kind of like power relationships. Was, yeah, that was a common. Orgies. Yeah. Sexual, like, sexual cults kind of thing like yeah. temple like sexual orgies and in, in temples and whatnot and mm -hmm. you could it makes sense i understand why the early christians are like yeah let's just stick to some basic you know um monogamous relationships you know <laughs> it made sense in the culture yeah but then looking at the culture today it makes you wonder like is there room for that? And and did you have any experiences? Have you? I mean, now that you've been working within the independent Catholic um, community, Caris, right? Yes, you got involved a, in Caris. Yep, which is a church of the Ecumenical Catholic Communion. So there, I'm mm -hmm. I'm even within the independent movement, I'm a, a person of two worlds. I'm part of the Good Shepherd Companions, but I'm a so pastoral associate for an, a church in the Ecumenical Catholic Communion, which are two different but similar. Based out of Montana? No. What is uh, it? No, Minnesota? Um, Minnesota. Minnesota. That's what it is. I, I always mix up the M's. Eden Prayer, Minnesota. Paris. Minnesota. Yep. And you got Trish, who's like yeah. the lead. She's priest. the pastoral director, and I'm the pastoral associate. Yeah. So. And she's a woman, yep. a married woman with children. Married. Yeah, exactly. And I, <laughs> I, that's also and I think that's important for me to, that like, it's, you know, reversing that role. Ultimately, I want it to be thing, but it's that reversal. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very important symbol. Now, within that community, have you had any experiences with people on the fringes where you've you've been able to actually see God working in their lives in that way, where it feels like they're drawing them from the fringes towards the true, I don't know, experience of God within church, you know, like church life? What does that look like? Um, you know, Karis, Karis is very... It lives on the margins itself, right? It's mm -hmm. kind of founded by a group of people from a, a very large parish that was open and inclusive in many ways, but who did not allow women to be ordained because it was part of the Roman Catholic Church. And they split from them and formed, through Trish was ordained, and they formed this kind of living out a Catholic community in a way that is inclusive. And I think and it's very much something that, Two things that draw me to that um, community is one is the sense of um yeah living out the the ability to draw both draw from the tradition and um i think you you use the term right deconstructionist or reconstructionist reconstruct the tradition so it's drawing from this catholic tradition but then not feeling bound by it you know like let's draw from this and how can we shift it how can we draw in other traditions of it 
Um, and the other part of it that's very powerful for me is it's a word from Vatican II, full and active participation, that it calls for the full and active participation of the lay people in the mass. It's not, as is so often the case in Roman Catholicism, certainly was the case before Vatican II, but it really didn't change, was kind of father's show. We'll, we'll go watch father say mass. What we're supposed to do is we're all celebrating mass together, where father's leading us, you know, priest is leading us in prayer, celebrating it, but we're participating. And that's something that's very insisted upon. We have a shared homily, you know, like the Trish or I or John, the other priest will preach a homily. Sometimes we'll have guest preachers, but then we'll invite others to share, you know. Mm. Um, we have shared prayers of the faithful, which is less uncommon, but, you know, we'll have prayers and then Wells has a prayer. Um, and then I think one of the most important things for us, for Catholics in the Catholic tradition, which is something I believe in, but is this notion that when Jesus said, you know, talk about one of the few ways I'm literal, you know, is, you know, is Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. That's what Catholics believe is that Jesus is in some way becoming or the bread and the wine are somehow becoming God's Jesus' body and blood. And, and in, especially during COVID, when people weren't gathering, that was a source of a lot of pain for Roman Catholics because the Eucharist was so core to their experience of God, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're literally imbibing God, you sure. know, and that was, and people had to just watch on TV. And, yeah. and something that Karis will do is actually, we bring our own bread and wine. If we're on Zoom, I bring my own bread and wine. And even before I was a priest, and we said, you know, why would the Holy Spirit be limited by time, space, or distance? Mm. And so this notion that we're all, it's not just the priest up there doing the Eucharist thing, but we're all communally celebrating together and bringing Jesus into the world in a way that Jesus is inbreaking into the world. So it's participation, right? And so that notion of participation is very important to me. And I think that's something that I'm trying to live out and something Vatican II teaches, but it has not in most Catholic churches has not come to be. And I think it really became clear in COVID when people were watching on TV but I think it was always the case that there was a sense of like up there, priests are doing the vast thing and we're watching. That's definitely something that's true throughout all Christian traditions that COVID changed church. Like it's never really going to be the same. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be like a way to join virtually or in most churches, you know, e even without COVID these days. Yep. And yeah, that's that's great. That's really cool. So that's what's happening now. But I forgot. Let's back up a little bit and go back to 2020 when you started the Friends of Moose. How did that happen? So, um, yeah, you I just think, finished seminary. I just finished seminary. I was talking to the Good Shepherd Companions and we were discussing the possibility of my ordination. And, and for them, they said, look, you you've finished your degree. You've um, done preaching. You know, you've taken classes on preaching. You you know, studied it, you've discerned, like, you're ready to be ordained now, like this, you know, we would send you to school or do something else if you weren't already done, but you're, you're ready, you know, and I said, you know, I, but something was holding me back, I knew I was called to be a priest, I was pretty confident I was going to be able to do them, but it, I didn't feel quite ready, you know, and one of my fellow priest, now fellow priests in that community, he, he was saying, um this is we were meeting by zoom already this was covid was starting and um 
like Aparo said, you know, you know, priesthood comes out of community, not the other way around. So maybe your hesitation is because you need a community to kind of approve your nation to say that. And so I, I liked that idea a lot, but I also it was 2020, you know? So I was like, yeah, a community would be great. Maybe after, you know, but it's like, okay, well, what do I do with the context that I'm in? And, um, and so I, I guess Zoom is the thing, right? So I got myself a Zoom account and I sent an email to 53 friends who I thought might be interested in this in some way, you know, um, who were on the peripheries. I see, I didn't name it at the time. It was a group for peripheral Catholics and millennial nuns, N-O-N-E-S. And that's who I felt called to, right? These people on the margins and said, look, we want to talk spirituality. We're going to talk justice. We're not going to have any dogma. We're not going to insist on belief or proselytization, but we're going to talk spiritual things and we're going to go from there. And actually there's two groups and they actually named themselves. So there was the community of the hyphenated um, who named, you know, we're kind of hyphenated identities. They said, you know, Hindu Catholics or atheist Buddhists where maybe married Catholic priests, I don't know, like all these things. Um, and then out of that, there was some people who wanted to go, but that group met on Sundays and they just couldn't do Sundays. So we did a Thursday group and that was the friends of Moose that they, and, and background of that rather odd name is that my nickname in high school was Moose. And a lot of the people in that group still call me that sometimes father Moose now, but um, you know, but it's this thing. And so we became known as the, well, what are we? We're the friends of Moose. Like what is our commonality? <laughs> And so that group started on Thursdays and we had these two groups and we, you know, different people would present. We had prompts. So at first I was presenting, but people very quickly said, why do I talk about, I want to talk about something next week. I want to talk about this. And so we had these very open, inclusive, participatory things and different people from different faiths and different and not lack of faith presented something, sometimes something deep and philosophical, sometimes more lighthearted. Um, we got the Wonder Years once, we got... I remember that, <laughs> you know, and we had different, but I think there's deep, deep things that come from that. Right. And so sure. we had these great discussions, you know, and um, well, it often broke down the walls between the secular and the mundane or the spiritual and the mundane or, or exactly, uh, you know, that the secular and the religious, because we, we talk about these topics, which were accessible to everybody. Yeah. But it would ultimately turn into it would ultimately lead, lead to this discussion of deeper spiritual truths. Exactly. And we had such a wide variety of gr group of people. And honestly, like, I'm so glad you did it because it was actually my friend Boris who was like, Hey, you got to join um, every Thursday night. My, and we're in the middle of the pandemic. So like nobody's meeting anybody, you know? Yeah. I don't think we weren't even going to church in person at this point. At this point we had moved to, um, uh, back up to the Worcester area and we hadn't even like really got connected again with a church up here so yeah. at that point that was like my church for a, a few months you know yeah and, um it was such a great experience um and then like I I started presenting prompts to it I think you know in a way it kind of having those kind of discussions really kind of prepared me for what I'm doing now that makes a lot of sense yeah that you would have a um 
that yeah and i think that's it and i think it's people grew and they became more through these discussions mm -hmm. and it kept us sane and we got insight in some others and i'm glad of that yeah i know it was a tumultuous time i mean it was covid it was the election year mm -hmm. it was wild it was wild to yeah. think back on but you kept it going strong from like summer of 2020 all the way until maybe like last spring it kind of started to die down a little yeah, bit yeah and it, we still meet occasionally but it's mm -hmm. it's not the same and i think in it's I think it's two years though yeah and i think it's we have a community now we, even we not oh, for sure. we're not meeting as regularly there's these connections and these memories that kind of tie us together you know oh for sure and it was really neat um because then so you started friends of moose in june 2020 then in June 2021, you had your ordination. Yep. And I was so happy to, I was so glad to participate in that and, and be yep. there. So neat. I still have your glass up there from, from the, um, oh yeah. From the wine. <laughs> yep. Almost one year later about that. And yeah. And the cool thing that about that is that, yeah, it was one year. It was, um, um, actually, can I, we pause. I need to turn to the, yeah, sure. Yeah, so I was saying that this, uh, the uh, interesting thing about this ordination, it was I kind of set up to be just about one year after the first community met. So mm -hmm. a year later, that now I had a community and I was coming first out of it. But it also happened to match up. And I didn't, this one I didn't really plan is that because this ordinations for the Worcester Diocese, the ordination that I would have been part of was happened one day before my actual ordination so i really? basically got ordained right on schedule ah, wow like you know like a whole big journey here you know that's wild i can't believe it. i mean it's already like a year and a half ago that you got ordained pretty wild to think that is wild to think <laughs> that is wild i don't know where a year and a half went yeah but yeah i that was really neat to be there and like hearing Trish. And I also met uh, Father Jerry too. And I had him on the podcast. He was oh, one yeah. of my first, he was one of my first interviews. Oh, yeah. I think he was like number five. But yeah. Um, that's super cool. Yeah. That was really neat to be there. And it was a really powerful experience and such a diverse um, group of people too, all gathered together there to support you. And, mm -hmm. and, and I, really loved having you guys over we we had a, a bonfire at my house the night before <laughs> that was amazing i was, that so, was so glad that fun. you put that together that was just so good to you were to meet and i think that's so like that's such an experience of these uh -huh. intimate and close group we've all felt so close to each other yeah and so many of us you know live across the country and had literally never met each other oh my goodness i met Ginny. Mm -hmm. i met trish in person yeah she's a lot shorter than i thought she was and she was the first and by the way that's the first time i met trish in person too no you know, way well like that was that was that's wild um i met tim mm -hmm. all the way from philly yeah i and gotta it, keep that in mind I, I got someone i could stay i could stay at his house i'm sure if i needed to mm -hmm. that's the neat thing about community is once you build that once you build this kind of community you always have people everywhere you know where you can and that's what's kind of cool too imagine if it wasn't covid and you had tried to put together some sort of community it would have just been local people but we had people from all over the country yeah i think that it was so it was like a an interesting 
aspect, yeah, right. The, the fact that it's this limitation mm -hmm. that we only meet by Zoom actually opened it up, right? Like that Kim was yeah. even Philadelphia, which isn't that far, is not going to come up for a meeting in Worcester, you know, like on, on a regular basis. But that's pretty Zoom far. Allowed to this much more deep, diverse community, and mm -hmm. and I just feel like that was such a thing that was amazing and actually i mean part of that is actually to talk about my wedding like mm -hmm. i wouldn't know my future wife without this community oh yeah you met her over yeah she, she came because she she was connected to another to agape community oh okay so he was invited along with several other people from who are young people involved in agape that i thought mm -hmm. that they would want to be part of this she's the one who came of that group and she yeah. just got this email and was just so intrigued by it. She actually hated the time. She tells me now, like 4 p.m. on Sunday was a terrible time for her, but she couldn't not look at that email and be like, I need to join this. I don't know yeah. why. I feel so called to join this group. Um, and then you guys got connected. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. So she was living in Maine. I wouldn't have met her. Like, I don't know. Wow. That's great. That's crazy. And then, yeah. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. So many good things came out of that. I mean, we could go on and on. I might, my, my, our, our mutual friend, Boris, mm -hmm. I mean, at the time he was working in finance. Now he's quit his job and works for the homeless. Like what yeah. the heck? I got, and I got him into that. Yeah. He's, we work together in the show. I don't think that would have happened without friends of moose. Literally some people's lives have been revolutionary. Yeah. I, revolutionized. I think you're right. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. wild. Even for myself. I think I had never had, I had never been able to access these kind of ecumenical um, conversations because I, you know, whenever I had discussions, it was within my tribe, you know, within my Protestant tribe. And, and at the time too, like my faith had devolved, devolved so far as I was like really pretty much, pretty dead set in like calvinism which is probably like the worst strain of, of protestantism there is out there <laughs> no comment, I, except yes i no, know no, no yeah and, and there's something and i never got that feel but it's interesting i'd be curious well for me a big part of it was grappling with that you know wait how can these people that think differently than me how can they be saved too how can they have the spirit of god too but when they do what am i supposed to do with that you know what am i supposed yeah. to do with the experience and I thought I was going to be coming on these these discussions and talking about theology and doctrine and, and our doctrinal differences and talking about the mechanisms of justification and whatnot. And, and I thought that's what we were going to be talking about, but it turned out we were just going to be talking about real life experiences and real faith and spirituality in a broader sense hmm. and it really it challenged me and forced me it forced me to deconstruct what i was believing at the time and, and you know, um, life-changing experience there too then like oh, oh for sure absolutely like i mean it's it maybe not you didn't change your job well actually yeah but like like boris but whatever but like there's like a fundamental like way in which you approach faith if you met boris before at the beginning of 2020 he was like a libertarian finance guy mm -hmm. he wanted he wanted to just get rich quick and then like 
retire young and go live in California and go surfing or something. And he, he, he saw people like Mike Boover and you and living out the life of faith in the living out the way of the kingdom of God mm-hmm. it inspired him so much to quit his job in finance, quit pursuing becoming a financial advisor and <laughs> give up his great paycheck to work for these like Catholic organizations helping out the poor and yeah. working for social justice and whatnot. And it, it amazes me all the time. I'm like, holy cow. When I, when I really, when you really think about it, it's, it's, it's radical. I mean, when you think of the concept of repentance, right. Changing one's mind. Yeah. I, I hardly know anybody who is a devout lifetime Christian who repents to that level, who changes, right. changes their mind. Like really metanoia, changing your mind, changing your way of life. What the rich young man, right? Isn't he? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty wild. When you think I mean, I think it, actually it's interesting. I'm thinking of, I'm, as, as you say this, like Boris is the rich young man, except he, he did give up way as well. Yeah. Right? And, and you, you're, um, you're Peter at Cornelius's house. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm Peter at Cornelius's house. And I'm thinking to myself, no, Cornelius can't be a believer. Yeah. But let alone, it turns out he's been all along. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm Peter. You know, that's, that's a good, that's actually a great analogy, I think. And, and here you are, you're, I don't know. Me, Paul on the way to Damascus. Maybe you're Paul, yeah. <laughs> moment, and then there's like, I don't know what, yeah, like that the system is, yeah, you just walk outside <laughs> of it. I don't know. There's some sort of analogy in there, but yeah. It's all these, there's, you know, I have this concept of spiritual heritage that I've been, it's been the starting point of my, of my discussions. And it's interesting how your spiritual heritage is just a starting point. It's just what you're born into. It's kind of like your nationality. You're born into it, but it develops and changes over time. And it's wild to think, like, I never would have thought that some wild, crazy fringe Catholics would have had such an effect on my life, but they did. You guys did for sure. But yeah. Anyway, Brian, I don't want to take too much of your time. It is getting late. But, but yeah, no, this man, was a wonderful discussion. And it's been yeah. excellent. Yeah. yeah. And I hope we can get together again sometime soon. No, forward to it. Hopefully I can join the Friends of Booths. There are monthly yeah. or bi-monthly. Yeah, I think it's going to be a monthly last Monday or something, unless that change. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, where are you at now? What what's been on your mind these days in terms of like you know what's what's God been saying to you lately? Um, for me, I think it's a lot about community. So I'm yeah. I'm definitely Sam and I are working toward kind of starting an intentional community similar mm-hmm. to Agape out in here. We're hoping our best spot right now is actually Auburn. Um, believe it or not, it's the only thing we wow. do. Um, no guarantees on that. Like that's just in the works, but mm-hmm. we basically want to live close to the land and close to other families, right? Sharing the burdens and blessings of life with others. Yeah. Uh, doing justice work together and helping be an example together. And I think so much of talk about the early church like so much of the early church and it's 
apparent moral teachings only made sense in the context of community. Yeah. Right. It was like we we have this individualist culture and we don't and then we get confused by what the Bible is saying and Jesus is saying it's because he's not saying it to people who are individuals. He's saying it yeah. to people embedded in community. So we're trying to restart that notion, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have to live as individuals, you know, white picket fence hiding, you know. So we're trying right. to get there and it's hard. The whole world yeah. is set up opposite way. So mm-hmm. I think God's been pushing us toward that, but also it's been challenging to not be there i think countercultural yeah 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 i mean wouldn't it be such a dream to live out live out the acts 2 acts chapter yeah. 2 like they had all things nobody would need it was in need of anything they they shared all things with amongst themselves they took care of each other and the sick and the poor yeah i mean that was beautiful yeah <laughs> what happened exactly yeah maybe they ran out of money i don't know i don't know i don't know yeah in this fallen world that we live in it's tough it's tough it's difficult Mm -hmm. scarcity of resources is difficult right like yeah exactly that's the only that's what holds us back from like a true utopian society is like at the end of the day there's scarcity of resources yeah but then it's a whole mentality though right is there's a scarcity mentality and abundance mentality Mm, yeah isn't the really, there's room that way really you know, there's like, plenty there's plenty of land and plenty of resources and plenty of money mm-hmm. to be used for the right things but we use it for the wrong things like war <laughs> and imprisonment yeah. and all sorts of injustice it's unfortunate yeah. so we have to keep being prophetic voices that's one thing that i really uh that really um has stuck with me from the friends of moose is the whole concept of speaking prophetically to your to your tribe and your people, you know, and yep. And we used to always we often end discussions be like, well, sounds like our conclusion is keep speaking prophetically to to your people, you know, to your you're called here for the you know, we gathered together in order to inspire one another. And we and we often rant and rave about injustice and, and things that we were fed up with. Mm-hmm. but then it's like well what do we do with it well we got it's a call to action isn't it and and within a loving community you can have that foundation and you can have the resources to kind of pursue that even if it is a pipe dream you know <laughs> right and exactly it's like yeah it's a little closer to that kingdom of god right that's yeah. the prophetic voices and speaking and i think that's that's the big you know the big secret of Jesus is not, I mean, you know, what I think that someone had said that, you know, plenty of people admire Jesus, but few people um, emulate him. Yeah. No, and I, that's, but that's what Jesus came to do is to teach us how to live. Like yeah. we should be prophetically like Jesus did. We should challenge the system like Jesus did. We should love unconditionally that Jesus did. There's so much that he's not on a pedestal, right? We're supposed to mm-hmm. all be that, you know, teaching if we all te- act prophetically in that yeah. way the, the world will be better one of the things is better kind of, Even if one of us does it the world's better but yeah well it's like the starfish right on the beach it's just one starfish what what starfish is right in front of you yeah you know? exactly doing little things with great love that and that starfish also can inspire others right that person yep. sees it. that's the other part of the story is that people see you throwing that starfish and that person says well i'm going to pick up a starfish now too 
Yeah. Twice as many starfish are being helped, right? So now you have a whole community, a whole movement of people, starfish people. <laughs> exactly. That's so neat. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. Well, Brian, you have a blessed evening. You too, Pete. This is God bless you. Uh, let's go forth and throw some starfish in the sea. Yeah, absolutely. Lord, Lord, the nature of your wrath It's not an easy path But I'm willing to trust Though I'm dying in the dust